Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campy Show, Monday through Friday, we take the second half of the show to take your live questions. However, we usually don't have enough time to get around to all the live questions that get sent in, but I want to make sure you guys don't have to wait too long to get those questions answered, so we gather up those unused questions and we address them here on companion videos. Now, I'm doing this video a little bit late because today was a big sports day for me. Number one, I got to watch my Maple Leafs beat the Canadians. Yes, one more to go. Uh, and then we had a few friends over to watch the Lakers game, watch the Lakers tie up their series as well. So I'm getting going on this one a little bit late tonight, but hey, better late than never. So let's not waste any more time and get right into it. And we'll start off where we left off with uh, the John Campus show earlier today. And that is with Aventium who writes, Gemma Chan, who's going to be so good in Eternals. I just love her. I loved her in Crazy Rich Asians. Anyway, Gemma Chan as Minerva calls C-53, a.k.a. Earth, a real shithole in Captain Marvel. I find it poetic, then, that the first words we hear from Jenna as Cersei in the Eternals trailer is of her looking out at Earth and saying, it's beautiful, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I've seen a lot of memes. <clears throat> I have seen a lot of memes online. Uh, referencing that specific thing. Uh, the whole idea that she said that one thing and then said this other thing in the other movie. By the way, I I don't feel like it's getting enough attention that Gemma Chan... I mean, we've had a couple of people make a couple of appearances in MCU movies as different characters, but never on this level. You know, she was a secondary, but a headline secondary character in Captain Marvel. And now here she is as a completely different character, uh, headlining in Eternals. Some people even suggesting she may kind of be the female lead of the film. So I think that's kind of interesting. But yes, I've seen many, many memes about that one, Eventium. All right, next up. BK Dan writes, John, with Satan's nutsack of a year about to be in the rearview mirror, that of course being 2020, uh, did you and Rob realize slash know that it was predicted way back in 1971's Andromeda Strain, uh, available on Prime Video for those who aren't familiar? So for those of you who don't know about Andromeda Strain, it's actually based on a book that came out in like 65, 66, 67, 68, 69, somewhere in there. And it was about basically a satellite crashes to Earth that was hit by a meteorite that carries like alien pathogens on it. And it creates this virus and kills a whole slew of people and all that kind of stuff. And I've heard a number of people, BK, kind of reference Andromeda Strain. Like 2020 was us living in the year of Andromeda Strain. So good, good uh, analogy on that one. Good one to bring up. All right. Ryan White writes. Hey, John, I'm a huge fan of the Purge franchise. I know some of the movies lacked execution, but I love the concept. Every 12 hours, every 12 hours on March 21st, all crime plus murder is legal. What do you think about the trailer for the Forever Purge? I listen, I'll be honest with you. The concept of the Purge uh, for a set of movies like this, where one day a year for X number of hours, all crime is legal, including murder. You know, it, it helps the idea, at least in the movie, says it gets all this aggression out. And then during the rest of the year, crime is down and everybody's happier. I, that's kind of the premise of the idea. But I have never loved the, the Purge movies. I think the first one with Frank Grillo, I think Frank Grillo was the one who was uh, in the Purge movie. The first one that Frank Grillo was in, that one I liked. Uh, that one I liked quite a bit. I haven't really liked the other ones. And 
the best thing, the thing I can say about the new purge trailer is that it's a purge trailer. I mean, essentially the purge movies are really all the same uh, when it comes down to it. And so, yeah, I watched the purge forever. Is That's what's called, right? The purge forever. I watched the purge forever trailer and I'm just like, and by the way, is that Josh Lucas in that? I don't see him around much these days. I'd love to see more of him anyway. Um, yeah, I watched it and it's like, this could have been the trailer for any of the purge movies. So I don't know. But again, there was one I really, really liked. So it carries that potential, but it's kind of like the zombie genre for me. It's like most of them are all just kind of the same now, but I'm not going to lie and pretend that I'm excited for the purge forever. I'm not, but I'll give it a shot and maybe it'll pleasantly surprise me like the other one did. All right. Thanks for writing that in, man. All right. Next up, uh, Ryan Loner writes. A movie song, a movie song indeed has to be original to for it to be eligible for an Oscar, which is the reason why you see many musical adaptations artificially cram in a new song with the 2017 Beauty and the Beast maybe being the worst uh, about it. Okay, so where this comes from is that the other day, uh, I think we were talking about uh, Dear Evan Hansen and somebody wrote in because the trailer for Dear Evan Hansen just dropped. And somebody wrote in and asked if I thought that, you know, this big key song from the Broadway musical now coming into the movie has a good chance to win best song. And I said, I might be wrong, but I think a song to be eligible for an Academy Award has to be originally written for that movie. It can't be an already existing song from something else that that is then brought into the movie. I said, I could be wrong about that, but I think, but I've had a number of people like Ryan writing in and saying, yeah, actually that is the rule. It has to be originally written for that movie. Now, listen, I'm going to say this. While I'm not like the world's biggest fan of the live action Beauty and the Beast, I still thought it was pretty good. The original songs in it were actually pretty solid. As a matter of fact, even if you look at um, the new Aladdin one, the one Guy Ritchie just did, um, the live action Aladdin one with Will Smith, they put in that original song for Princess Jasmine, and it's one of the best songs in there. It's not the best one, but it's a really, really good song. And the way she sings it and belts it out is great. And I thought, like, like the one the uh, the Beast sings in the tower in the 2017 version, I actually thought that was a pretty good song. But that's just me. Again, nowhere near as good as the original animated one, but I thought it was pretty good. That's just me. All right, next one. Frankie W. Gouge writes, Thought, Eternal's first romance film. Of course, it has to be a romance over millenniums. I'm not quite sure what it is you're saying. Thought. Eternal's first romance film. Of course, it has to be romance over millenniums. I don't know what it is you're saying, Frankie. I'm not sorry. To be honest, I'm not quite clear on what it is you're trying to say, but I will say this about that. I really did like that first Eternals trailer as a teaser, as a teaser. But I love the idea that you felt the time in that trailer. It spans centuries. And seeing like the romance part of it spanning centuries as well. I thought that was a good addition to the trailer. Again, I some people saying, I, I get it. A lot of people want to, all they want to see is heads being chopped off and lots of explosions. And that's not what this trailer was. To me, it just felt epic. Like it, it felt like an old Hollywood style epic. And I dug it. Now, 
maybe the first full official trailer, I won't dig as much. But as a teaser, I thought this one kind of worked. Anyway, thanks for writing in, Frankie. Next up, uh, B. Chris writes, John, uh, watching your companion video now, and I will say Man of Tomorrow was actually really good. We were talking about how I am just not a fan of either Marvel or DC animated straight to home video stuff. It's all garbage. Not all. There are some exceptions. There are some exceptions. But generally speaking, I find Marvel and DC straight to home video animation stuff total fourth grade nonsense. Anyway, but that's just me. Uh, Man of Tomorrow was actually really good. I dislike most animated movies and watched Apocalypse War because of the tips sent in, LOL. The gore was too much and I and it didn't fit. The writing was lazy. Yeah, I, I we were talking about this the other day about how uh, a bunch of people... Now, listen, I've had a number of people write into me to say, John, you really need to check this out. And then I've checked it out and loved it. Harley Quinn, the animated series. Love it. And I never would have watched it if it wasn't for you guys telling me to watch it. And you guys did. I'm like, fine, I'll watch this piece of garbage. And I watched it, fell in love with it. It's great. So when everybody, when I had a bunch of people writing in, but John, you got to watch Justice League Apocalypse War. You got to watch this. This one's great. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll give it a shot. It's terrible. Absolutely, as Charles Barkley would say, terrible. Just terrible. Anyway, uh, Man of Tomorrow, Again, it, to me, it just looked like another one. So I don't have a lot of interest in writing it. But the important thing is here, because you watched it and you liked it, and that's the important thing. All right, next up, uh, Ryan writes, Hey, John, I almost forgot a few more honorable mentions for this year. Here they are. Because a bunch of people, because Rob and I did this uh, last week, so a bunch of people were writing in for their top 10 most anticipated movies for the rest of 2021 lists. Uh, and Ryan writes, I hear a few honorable mentions. Luca, that one, I wasn't very interested in Luca until the most recent full trailer. Because the earlier preview stuff they put out, I'm like, all right. I mean, it's a Pixar film, so I'm sure it'll be good, but um, it, this doesn't look all that great. The latest trailer has started to get me a little bit more enthusiastic. Anyway, Red Notice. Well, of course, you got to, I mean, it's starring the two biggest movie stars in the world right now and Ryan Reynolds and Dwayne The Rock Johnson and The Tomorrow War. With, that's the one with Chris Pratt. Uh, that looks interesting to me. Look for those. Those are some good honorable mentions there, Ryan. Well done. All right. Next up, uh, Boris writes. I only watched Man of Tomorrow because, oh, I guess that's the same as B. Chris. Okay. Um, I only watched Man of Tomorrow because I bought the new Chromecast. I, by the way, I also have that new Chromecast. I've been using it for a few months now. Now, I'm a guy who's been, I've used them all, right? I've used the Apple TV. I've used the Amazon Fire Stick. My longest and most, most faithful use has been the Roku. I'm a big Roku fan. And I still use Roku here in my office and I use Roku in my bedroom. Me and Ann use Roku in the bedroom. But I have started using that new Chromecast with Google TV on my main living room TV. I really like this damn thing. It's 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 superb. I really enjoy using it. Anyway, I only started watching because I bought the new Chromecast and it had some Google credit to test with. Uh, the movie is very grounded, smaller scale, and character centric. I get if you still aren't interested, but I will. But I will give praise where it's due. Well, you know, here's the important thing, Boris. When people write in recommendations, sometimes I'll try them, sometimes I won't. But here's the key thing. The key thing is, it's not just me hearing your recommendation. It's the thousands of other people watching this show. And I always get messages from people saying, hey, John, I checked out such and such movie or such and such show because somebody wrote in 
and recommended it, so I checked it out. So whether I check it out or not really isn't important. The key thing here is, Boris, that there are thousands of other people hearing you recommend Man of Tomorrow. Maybe a bunch of them will check it out, and they'll like it. And they'll like it and have a good time because you recommended it. So well done. And you know me, if I hear enough people recommending something, I'll give it a try. So let's see if a whole bunch of other people recommend Man of Tomorrow. All right, next up. Thanks for sending that in, Boris. Next up, uh, Joel C81 writes, there can be only one who wants to live forever. Highlander, baby. Anyway, uh, I'm like you, John. Absolutely love the Highlander, and I'm psyched for a remake. I like Antonio Banderas from Ramirez, but there was something appealing of a Scotsman, Sean Connery, uh, playing an Egyptian slash Spaniard. How about Gerard Butler? Well, I, look, generally speaking, I don't like talking ex-actor and ex-role things, but I will say this. The only thing I don't like about the idea of Gerard Butler is that because of who Ramirez is and just kind of the way I've always pictured him, but then again, that's my own personal bias, so get, take that or leave it for whatever it's worth. I don't think Gerard Butler's old enough to play uh, Ramirez. I liked it. That's why I like the Antonio. When somebody mentioned the Antonio Banderas one, it's it's also Antonio's age. He's perfect, right? for that. So I like Gerard Butler and don't get me wrong. If they announced Gerard Butler was going to be Ramirez in uh, the new Highlander, I'd be perfectly happy. All I care about is whether or not somebody's a good actor. That's it. I think Gerard Butler's a good actor, so I'd be good to go. But if I was the producer, do I think he's the right fit? Not necessarily. But again, if they cast him, they cast him. All right. Thanks for that, Josil. All right. Next up. Uh, Oli writes, Hello, John. Uh, just tipping to ask, should Discovery separate all DCIP from Warner Brothers into its own studio under the Discovery banner, DC Studios? Uh, would it not be the best way forward for developing the DC brand? Thank you. No. No, it would not. And here's why. There is a lot. Of, look, you already have this fully functioning film studio with almost a century of incredible success. Even in the past decade, Warner Brothers has put out some of the greatest movies ever. You know, they're just, they're great. They're a great studio. If you wanted to spin out DC into like literally its own completely standalone independent studio, the amount of infrastructure you have to try to create is ridiculous. Like with Warner Brothers, you already have the fully functioning built-in infrastructure studio system there in place. You know, now I like the idea of having its own film division, right? Just like, for example, Marvel is under Disney, but its own division. Lucasfilm is under Disney, but it's its own division. I like that, but completely spinning it off from Warner Brothers, that's asking for disaster that's asking for a lot of trouble now i get it from, from a fan's point of view like us all we care about is what do we see on screen but there's this whole logistical administrative infrastructure that goes into that is the lifeblood of a studio and those things are absolutely needed and to try to just build one of those things from scratch you're just asking for failure i personally like the idea much like disney manages Pixar, Lucasfilm, Marvel, all that sorts of things. I like the idea of, you know, Warner Brothers now belonging to Discovery, but Warner Brothers still being that movie studio and then having a couple of divisions. Make one of those DC 
give it a true president of that division, much like Disney appointed Kevin Feige to be the president of the Marvel division. And Kathleen Kennedy is the president of the Lucasfilm division. And I forget what the name of the the dude is now who runs uh, Pixar. But at any rate. So therefore, you get the best of both worlds. It is still under the studio. That infrastructure and administrative system is there. That actually makes everything happen. But then from the creative point of view, you now have its own standalone division to look after the creativity. So keep it as a part of Warner Brothers, but make it its own division with its own president who answers to whoever they make in charge of Warner Brothers, just like Kevin Feige answers to to Alan Horn right now at Disney. So I like that system. So no, trying to spin it off to create its own thing. You know what that's like? It's like saying, hey, we got these 10 great basketball players. Why don't they just spin off and make their own team? Okay. But that now requires building a company with experienced executives and leaders, thousands of employees, blah, 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 all because we want these 10 players to have their own standalone team. How about we have these 10 players just play for this team that already has that whole infrastructure there? That's kind of the way I see it at any rate. All right, man. Thanks for writing that in and asking though, dude. All right, next up. We got uh, Monkey of All DJs, right? I love the name. Greetings from Winnipeg. Oh, you're in a good mood right now. Uh, Go Jets, go. Uh, Do you think any of our teams have a chance against any team they haven't played all year this playoffs? I that statement makes no sense. Do you think any of our teams, I don't know who you mean by our, do you mean Canadian teams? Any of our teams have have a chance against any team they haven't played all year this playoffs? Again, I'm not quite sure what it is you're asking. Do I think any Canadian teams stand have a legitimate chance this year? For the first time in my lifetime, the Leafs have they, the Leafs are looking good. I mean, they dropped that first game to Montreal, but they went through something pretty traumatic. Traveris got that knee to the head. He was went out on a stretcher. The captain of the team is gone, and they dropped the first game. They've won three games since, and they're now they just taken a very commanding lead. They won four nothing earlier today. Uh, I think they actually have a chance, and um, and but I mean, like I said, you guys got to understand. The entire time that I have drawn breath on this earth, my entire, without exaggeration, my entire existence, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I bleed blue and white, the Toronto Maple Leafs have never even not only won the Stanley Cup, they've never even been to the Stanley Cup. And the, the story, the, the ultimate sports franchise, the Toronto Maple Leafs, in my entire lifetime, have not so much as been to the Stanley Cup playoffs, to the Stanley Cup finals, I should say. They've never even been to the finals, let alone one. And this year, maybe, I still kind of feel like they're a year away, but they're looking really good. So I don't know. We'll we'll see how it goes, man. We'll see how it goes. Thanks for writing a monkey. And congrats again to the Jets. All right, next up. Uh, Jesse writes, uh, not usually one to boo something because of a picture, but I'm really not digging Wahlberg's look in this uncharted photo. Uh, I wasn't sold on his Sully casting, and this photo doesn't help. He looks like, well, Mark Wahlberg. Uh, can't he at least get the mustache? Here's the thing, Jesse. I, I think... People need to wrap their head around this. This is the movie, right? This is the movie. Now, 
I was, you know, working in the online world back when the first X-Men was coming out. And I still remember to this day, people seeing pictures of this Hugh Jackman guy, this song and dance dude from Australia, this live stage musical performer from Australia. Everybody hated it. Everybody hated him. This is before the movie came out. Because, I mean, obviously, Wolverine is supposed to be like four foot 10 or four, four foot 11. This is not Wolverine. That's not what Wolverine looks like. Wolverine is not six foot two. Wolverine is not this, this, this. They should have got somebody else. They should have got, I remember a lot of people saying, they should have got Danzig. Anyway, they should have got it and everybody hated it. But what they didn't understand was that the executives at the time, they were like, listen, there's the comic book Wolverine and we are taking a lot of the elements of that Wolverine, but we're doing it differently here. So Wolverine will still be Wolverine in very many ways, but he's going to be different in many ways for the movie world. I say this a lot, and I always get people argue me, argue with me about it, but I still stand by this. The number one job of a filmmaker is not as particularly when a filmmaker is making a movie based on pre-existing material, whether it's an old book, a comic book, an old TV show, a previous movie, a stage play, whatever. The number one job and responsibility of a filmmaker is not to be as fateful as as possible to the original source material. That is not the number one job of a filmmaker. The number one job of a filmmaker is to make the best movie possible. That is the number one job of the filmmaker. And when they were making that first X-Men movie, which is, it's, I mean, if you like the modern day comic book movies, you better get down on your hands and knees and thank whatever movie gods you worship for that first X-Men movie. Because the Hollywood Studios executives always point back to that movie and saying, that's the movie that let us know we could do comic book movies a different way today. Anyway, that X-Men movie was kind of proof of that. It took all the key elements of what X-Men was, but it kind of did a little bit different to make a great movie. And then they upped themselves with X-Men 2. Now, X-Men have had some stumbles along the way for sure. But again, look at, uh, you know, Civil War. Some people consider Captain America Civil War to maybe be the greatest comic book movie of all time. It's very high on my list, not number one, but it's high on my list as well. Some people think it's the best one ever made. But it's it took elements of the comic book story of Civil War and brought it over, but it's very different at the same time. Let's not be those people that goes, well, that isn't what it was like in the comic book. Who cares if he looks like Sully or not from the video game? Because can anybody imagine Wolverine being played by anybody other than Hugh Jackman now? Like, get you. So I think we need to just get over, okay, whether he looks like or doesn't look like the character as that character is manifested in the video game. It's irrelevant. All that's important is, is it going to be great in the movie? That's all that matters. Make sure that his Sully character has a lot of Sully-isms that are in the game as well. But it doesn't have to be this bang on, you have to look just like him and wear the mustache any more than Hugh Jackman had to be under five feet tall. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, if he looked exactly like Sully in the video game, but it's not a good movie, it's not going to make the movie any better. 
And if he looks nothing like Sully in the video game, but if they do a good job and they make it a good movie, that's still going to be a good movie. So let's not get hung up on unimportant things like that. Let's let's keep focused on do they tell a great story? Do they give us good character development? Is there good chemistry on screen between the characters? Do we get invested in the plight of our heroes? You know, all the important let's focus on the important things. Uh, but listen, I get distracted by the unimportant things. I absolutely do. I think we all do. And listen, you could rightfully say right now, well, Campy, it's all well and good to say let's focus on the main things, but we don't have the movie right now. All we have is this still image. Fair enough. You're right. You're right. All we have right now is the still image. And so all we really, all the only tangible thing we have to talk about is that still image. So if you're yelling at your computer screen that, you are right. Let me, let me admit that. You are right. But I would also suggest that even though that's all we have to talk about right now is that image, let's not get too hung up on it. Let, let's point it out. Because, you know, even I said on the John Campus show earlier today, you know, it, it, it threw me for a little bit of a loop because he, he looks so unlike Sully does in the games. Sure. But let's not get hung up on it. Let's not let ourselves think, well, man, I don't know if I should look forward to this movie. Why? Because that character doesn't have a mustache. Really? I've done that. I've I've totally done that. I have I've gone into movies based on other materials like, that's not how that guy's supposed to look. And then, you know, I ended up loving the movie or whatever. But again, so fair enough for us to talk about it, but let's not get too hung up on it. Let's see how it kind of unravels. We still got a ways to go until we get to see it, though. All right, thanks for writing that in, Jesse. All right, next up. PG13 writes. Uh, where to go? There it is. Uh, hey, John, I know you hate most DC and Marvel animated stuff, but have you ever s- seen Spectacular Spider-Man? I have not. Uh, if you watched it, what did you think of the show? I never did watch it. Uh, if you haven't, you should watch it. Not going to watch it. Uh, it's the best Spidey show ever made, and it's only 26 episodes long. And listen, I often here's the thing. I have. There's so much really good stuff on TV that I want to watch that I don't have time to watch. Like it's taken me weeks to finally watch. Ann and I finally sat down last night to watch the first episode of Mayor of Easttown. Is that what it's called? The new Kate Woodslet one, Mayor of Easttown? We finally watched the first episode. I had no idea Guy Pierce was in it, by the way. That was a really pleasant surprise to see Guy Pierce is in that. Um, and I'm like six weeks late on finally watching one episode. And that's just an example of how far behind I am on really good television that I really do want to watch and I'm very interested in. And there's a ton of other things as well. I have very little interest in Marvel or DC straight to home video animated stuff. Very little interest. I'm certainly not going to bump a bunch of things that I'm legitimately excited about off the list just so I can squeeze in an old Spider-Man animated show. Now, that's not to say that if I watch it, I wouldn't like it. Maybe I would. But I have very little interest in it, and I've just got too many things in the line that I am very interested in that I still haven't had a chance to watch. So I'm not going to lie to you and say, thanks for the recommendation, man. I'll absolutely start watching it because that would be you know, disingenuous of me. I am probably not going to watch it. Uh, but uh, I'll tell you what, though. Uh, again, it's like anything else. If I get like heaps of people constantly tell me that I need to watch it like they did for Holly Quinn, Maybe I'll consider it. Maybe I will. Anyway, thanks for putting that on my radar, PG-13. All right, next up. Chuck the Mystery writes, 
Hey, John and Rob. Rob's obviously not here right now. I haven't particularly liked any of the de-aging tech in recent films, but I am a massive Clancy Brown fan. Clancy Brown is great. I love him uh, and would love to see him play Kurgan again. I absolutely would not. No, sir. Uh, how would you feel about him being uh, in the Cavill Highlander as a D.H. Kurgan? No, for a couple of reasons. One, it would just be a gimmick. I mean, literally, if you were just casting the movie to put in the best people in the, in the roles, you would not select, I believe, Clancy Brown 64. You would not select a 64-year-old Clancy Brown other than the gimmick of the fact that he happened to be the same guy who played that role back in the 80s. He can't be, he can't physically be the Kurgan again. Like, I still remember as a kid that the Kurgan was just this physically dominant, in, in um, intimidating presence about... Clancy can't do that. He could do that with his voice in animated stuff now. And I certainly love seeing him pop up in other movies and TV shows now. But should he be the Kurgan? No, because all it would be is a stunt gimmick. And I don't want the Highlander reboot to have a stunt gimmick in it. Um, just get the best person possible for the role. And right now... Clancy Brown would probably be the first guy to tell you, I'm not the first person you would go to. Like if you were just reading the Highlander script and it was fresh, brand new, there wasn't the old eighties movie, blah, blah. Would you look to Clancy Brown to play the role of the Kurgan? No, you wouldn't. Of course you wouldn't. So no, I, I want them because that's not what's going to serve the movie. Get somebody who can bring that physicality like Clancy Brown brought back in the 80s. Get somebody who can bring some decent acting chops, bring that physical, that physicality to the movie that Kurgan had, bring that intimidating presence to the movie like Clancy Brown did back then, and get the person who can do that best today. And I am still a massive fan of Clancy Brown. Whenever he pops up in stuff, it gets my interest. But do I think he should play Kurgan again? No, probably not. Probably not. Anyway, thanks for writing that in, Chuck. All right, next up. Justin L. writes, Hey, John, greetings from Australia. Longtime listener, first-time poster. Thank you for being here, Justin. Appreciate that. I'm just wondering if you've seen a low-budget Australian film called Two Hands. Never heard of it. Uh, it stars a very young Heath Ledger and Rose Byrne uh, before they got their Hollywood breaks. No, I've never seen it. Like I said, I've never even heard of that film. It is always neat. I remember a bunch of years ago, um, we were on a kick of going back to like early, early appearances of big movie stars today and going back and, and you know, finding these. And remember, hey, you know, so-and-so the big star? Well, at some point they were just this. Like Leo DiCaprio got his first appearance, I think. What was it? Family, not Family Ties. It was one of the other ones. Anyway, um, or, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer in Grease 2 or whatever, things like that. So that would be of interest to me. But no, I have never heard of it. This is You're putting it on my radar for the very first time, Justin. Thanks for that, man. All right, next up. Check the mystery rights. I'm not a person who needs everything to be part of a shared universe. But as a Bat family historian and a fan of its derivative characters, what are the chances that the HBO Max Batgirl is in the same universe as the Max Gotham series over under 30%? Well, what you're really asking, the question you're actually asking then is will Batgirl be in the same universe as 
Matt Reeves's and uh, Robert Pattinson's The Batman, because Matt Reeves and Robert Pattinson's The Batman is not in the standard DCEU. It's in its own kind of pocket universe, much like the Joker was. So an ask, and we know that the Gotham series that they're making for HBO Max is going to be a part of that same universe with Robert Pattinson's Batman. So when you ask, could this Batgirl that they're developing be in the same universe as the Gotham series, what you're essentially asking is, will this Batgirl be in the same universe as the Robert Pattinson Batman? Oh, and that, I I don't know. I mean, it is possible. And you set a really good line. By setting the line at 30%, that, that's a good, because I would say under 50. But it's a legitimate, like it's a solid legitimate chance. So you know what? While I, if you set the line at 50%, I would take under. Because I think the likelihood is that this Batgirl is not going to be in the same universe as the Robert Pattinson Batman. I don't know that. I'm just speculating. So I would set it under 50%. But if you're going to set the line at 30, you know what? I will take the over. I'll take the over on that. I will go over 30%. Again, I still think it's not likely. I would still say under 50. But for this discussion, I will take the over on that, Chuck the Mystery. Let's see how it turns out. All right. Uh, No Country for Old Sam writes, Have you or Rob ever seen a film from 1989 titled The Cook? Oh, yes. The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover. It's shot to the top of my all-time favorites list. Very macabre. Macabre. I never know how to pronounce that word. Very macabre and sinister with some of the best costume and set design I've seen. Fully immersive. So it's a really interesting film. And it's got, like, the goddess Helen Mirren is in it. And um, Richard, um, oh, I always pronounce his last name wrong, Gambon? Michael Gambon? 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 I I always mispronounce his last name. Anyway, Michael Gambon, um, who you may not recognize his name, but he played Dumbledore in the Harry Potter movies after Richard Harris passed away. Because remember, Richard Harris played Dumbledore at first, then he was replaced. That was Michael Gambon. Michael Gambon, the star of uh, The Cook, The Thief, uh, His Wife, and Her Lover, along with Helen Mirren. It is this rompous, kind of crazy kind of movie. If you've not seen it, I don't hear this one brought up a lot, No Country for Old Sam. It's not brought up a lot. But it is a really good movie, and it's and it's also like I said, romp. Rompus is a word I heard somebody use to describe it once, and it's totally the right word for it. So if you haven't checked it out before, take No Country for Old Sam's advice here and go and check it out. All right, next up, ha 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 writes in, "How's it going, McDavid fans? Ah, oh, yeah. Well, the Oilers got beaten overtime." Uh, knocked out of the playoffs again, which is too bad. Now, I being McDavid fans, listen, the reality is this. McDavid is three times better than any player on your favorite team. That's, that's just the way it is. McDavid is three times better than any player on your team. The Edmonton Oilers have had a very rough go of things the last, I don't know, 20 years. They've had a very, not as bad as the Toronto Maple Leafs, mind you, but they've had a very rough go of things for the last uh, 20 years. So uh, it is what it is. But I mean, McDavid fans, 
They've got, I mean, if you're going to be a fan of an individual player, he's the guy. He's probably going to win an MVP. He's probably going to win five more MVPs. He walks, so I th- would he get like 105 points in like 60 something games or whatever, 50 something games this year? He's like, he's the next, you know, in the lines of, in, in the lineage of like the greatest players alive. He's like one of the next guys up. You know, when you're going from Gretzky to Lemieux to, you know, Sidney Crosby, uh, uh, Ovechkin, Malkin. I mean, he's kind of the next one up. He is. So I wouldn't I wouldn't be joking too, laughing too much because when it's all said and done, his career is going to be pretty damn good. So, yeah, don't don't worry about it. All right. Uh, Superman and Lois writes, Tob Cabana, Ugg, is directing the finale. Thoughts? Don't know, don't care. Uh, and Tyler's last name is pronounced Hecklin. Well, it's spelt Hoakland, so whatever. Uh, and about Shang-Chi, both ways are correct. It's like how Americans and Canadians both say uh, sorry differently, or like how people in the UK say garage and aluminum, uh, aluminium. I, I, I found that out for the first time the other day, that people in the UK pronounce aluminum as aluminium, which kind of is how it's spelt, so make sure. Anyway, both are right. I get lots of different types of opinions over how to say Shang-Chi. Again, I've heard it said many different ways. It's spelt Shang-Chi. I'm going to say it that way until I see the movie. Then once the movie comes out and they pronounce it however they're going to pronounce it in the movie, then that's how I'll say it moving forward. But I hear too many contradictory things on that. As far as who's directing the episode, I really don't care. In television, the showrunners are really in control of the show. Television is very different from the movies. In the movies, the director is really the one who runs everything, uh, who's in charge of of ultimately the direction of the movie and how it goes. The writers are not. In television, it's completely the opposite. The writers and the showrunners are the ones who really set the overall thing in the show. And the directors just kind of, I mean, look, the director's job is still very important. They got to take that and bring it to life. But the director doesn't really have the same say. The director doesn't get to say, you know what? I don't want X to kill Y. I want Y to kill X. Well, in the movies, a director could do that. In television, the director can't do that. That's up to the writers and the thing. Because guess what? Most of the time, every episode of a, of a television show, usually, there are exceptions. But usually, like, every episode is directed by a different director. Right. Sometimes the director will direct like two episodes in a season or something like that. So they're not going to be around to do everything, whereas the writers are. So I wouldn't worry about who's directing the season finale. That's not really important. The writers are the one who set what's going to happen in it. Uh, That doesn't mean that you don't still want a good job directing being done. Of course you do. It's still important. But that director is not going to dictate what the story is. That's up to the writer. So we'll see. I haven't seen the finale. I haven't seen the latest episode yet. I got to get caught up on it, but I'm really enjoying this show so far. All right. Last question of this companion video comes to us from Austin Smith, who tips in like $20. Thank you, Austin, for supporting the channel on that level, man. I appreciate that. Right. And hey, John, first off, I've recently become a new subscriber. Oh, thank you so much for subscribing. Uh, and would uh, and would to say I am already a huge fan. Uh, you're my question. You're my question. You're my question is, I guess, forget the word you're. My question is, regarding the Netflix adaptation of Assassin's Creed, are there any expectations you have for this series? Love your show, man. Thank you so much, Austin. I appreciate that. I mean, look. There was a period of time 
when all of us, certainly me, but I think the vast majority of us thought we were about to enter a golden age of video game movies, because even though the whole history of video game movies has sucked, we had these two movies coming that we thought these are going to be the two movies that opens up the gates and ushers in a golden age of video game movies. And that was World of Warcraft being directed by uh, Duncan and Assassin's Creed starring Magneto himself, Michael Fassbender. And we all thought for like a year and a half leading up to these movies coming out, this is going to be it. We're finally going to get great video game movies because the mythology and the narratives that are in these games, you can do so much with these worlds. It's going to be great. Well, World of War- Warcraft came out and listen, I, I, I enjoyed Warcraft, but I was also disappointed like it was not the movie that was going to usher in a golden age of, of video game movies. It just wasn't. And a lot of people hated it, and I get why. I still had I still had enough enjoyment of it. I still enjoyed it. I liked it. But it also had tons of problems, and a lot of people hated it. But oh my God, Assassin's Creed, that is a whole different level of suck. Like, that that movie is truly garbage. Like, absolute, it makes you feel angry when you're done watching it. You wish you could get that time back in your life. There's a lot of movies I don't like that I'm like, don't get me wrong, it's not total garbage, it's not dumpster fire, I just didn't like it, it's just not very good. Assassin's Creed was a monumentally horrible, bad movie. And it's not fair for me and a bunch of other people to carry that stench of that movie into our expectations of whatever this new Netflix thing is going to be because it's totally different people making it. It's totally different group of people making it. But we are human. It's called Assassin's Creed. We saw an Assassin's Creed not long ago, and it was terrible. Look, the only expectations... The most fair thing I can do is to say the only expectations I'm bringing into it is to not be that Michael Fassbender movie. Be anything but that Michael Fassbender movie. And myself and my fellow fans, we will do our best to when Assassin's Creed comes, separate that movie from what this show is going to be and judge this show on its own merits. That's going to be our job. Um, so as far as my current expectations, just don't be that damn movie. And let's see. And and the other thing I would say is this, if there's anything I took away from that awful, awful movie, the only times that movie almost worked was when they were in the past, which wasn't much of the movie, but in the times that they were actually in the past, because if you know the mythology of Assassin's Creed, it's like, futuristic present day and in, in kind of a way where it's genetic or it's modern day genetic memories. Guy goes back reliving sort of things from his genetic uh, memories imprinted from the generations and generations of his family past blah, 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 blah. Anyway, I would hope that the majority of this new Assassin's Creed takes place in the past. It just worked better. But then again, that was the movie. Maybe they have a great idea for the. So I don't know. Again, My only expectation is 
don't be the movie. All right, listen, there are more questions still to come from Anthony R., BK, Dan, Russell Amador, and more, but I believe these came in after the show ended today. So we will start off tomorrow's John Campia show with the question from Anthony R. when we get to the live questions part of the show. But for now, that'll do it for this installment of the companion video. Guys, thanks so much for being here and watching this little video with us. Also, special thank you to all of you guys who sent in those live questions. Number one, because they give us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved with the John Campia show Thank you guys very, very much for that support. And by the way, if you want, if you're asking yourself, wait a minute, how do I get one of these questions on the show? It's simple. Look in the description of this video and you'll see a tip link. You can just click on it there or you can enter it in manually at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question read on the show or on a quickly following up companion video. And of course, you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. And the earlier you send it in, the earlier it gets read on the show. Anyway, guys, that will do it for me. Remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.